So Revelations chapter 2, we're in a series called uh, A Letter to the Church, and tonight we're going to be talking about uh, the church of Thyatira. And Revelations chapter 2, verse 18. If you don't have it, it's going to be on the screen behind me. A letter to the church. Jesus wrote this letter through John, who's been banished on the island of Patmos. And they boiled him, tried to kill him. And while they were boiling him, he was still preaching and he didn't die. So they put him on this island to spend the rest of his days. All of the other apostles are now dead. He's the last surviving disciple and apostle. And Jesus reveals himself to him on this island. And he says, I want you to write a letter to the seven churches in Asia. And so far, we've, we've been through all of them. Um, not all of them. This is the fourth. But we've been through Ephesus, uh, Smyrna. Um, Pergamum, and now here we are at, at Thyatira. So let's read. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and who, whose feet are like burnished bronze. I, I want to pause for there because I didn't talk about this in, in, the, in the first two letters, but even in the salutation that is written, he says these words. He says, the words of the Son of God. So the God of Thyatira was Apollo. And Apollo is known as the Son of God. And so Jesus even starts this out as, hey, these are the words of the Son of God. Not someone that claims to be the son of God, but the son of God. What's interesting is that when he does these greetings also in Ephesus and when he does these greetings in Smyrna and Pergamum, that it's the same thing. He says, these are the ones with, uh, these are the words of him who has the sharp sword for Pergamum. They were known, their city symbol was the sword. They were known as the city of the sword. In Smyrna, he said, these words are the one, the first and last, who died and came back to life. Smyrna had a massive earthquake, and the city was devastated, and then they rebuilt it. So they claimed themselves as the city that was dead but is now alive. And so it's amazing that even in the smallest words that are delivered, there's something behind them. I would say, listen to the smallest words that God wants to say to you tonight goes on to say, whose eyes are like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. What you're doing now is, is even better than what you once were doing. But I have this against you, that you tolerate. Come on, somebody say tolerate. That you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed at idols. If anybody has to call themselves something, they're, they're probably not, by the way. Behold, I will throw her on a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her will also be thrown into great tribulation unless they repent of her works." And I will strike her dead. And all the churches will know that I am he, I have this underlined, I am he who searches mind and heart. I will give to each of you according to your works. Verse number 24. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold to this teaching, 
who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. To you, I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast. Come on, somebody say hold fast. Hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod iron, and when earthen pots are broken into pieces, even as I... I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that you open up every ear. I pray that you open up every heart. And I pray that you open up every mind just to receive of your word. Change us and challenge us today. In Jesus' name, come on. And everybody said, amen, amen. So let's dive into this. I'm, I'm, I'm going to preach a little bit, but I want to give you a little history on the church because I think once I give you some background and context on who the church is, who the people are, that we'll have a little better understanding of, of why we're preaching what we're preaching and talking about tonight. So as we continue this series, A Letter to the Church, we're looking at Thyatira. So what you need to understand is that Thyatira, out of all of the cities, was the smallest of all the cities, yet it received the longest letter. You may have felt like, man, when is he going to stop reading? They got the longest letter, even though they're the smallest city. Thyatira was known for its trade guilds. It was a military outpost. It was a city, if you remember, we talked two weeks ago about the city of Pergamum. It was actually a city that was set to the east of Pergamum. And Pergamum was, it was kind of the political, religious capital of the area. It was actually the capital of Asia in that time. And so they established, rebuilt Thyatira as a military outpost so that it could actually protect Pergamum. So there were tons of military people there. There was ton of industry there. Um, it was a, a working class town. It was not the rich political town like Pergamum. The military outpost is what drove all of the trade guilds. These trade guilds all had their gods and deities that they worshipped. They all had these spiritual rituals that you had to participate to be a part of these guilds. They would make sacrifices, sometimes human sacrifices, in the name of business and success. They would have wild parties where everything would happen that you can think of under the sun. And if you didn't participate, listen to me, if you didn't participate, you would be ostracized as a business owner or a tradesman. So essentially, if you weren't willing to compromise or at least just be, listen to me now, tolerant of the sin, then you would be alienated and go without work. This church, if you look at it and you contrast between Thyatira and the church at Ephesus, it's the exact opposite of the church in Ephesus because watch this. Ephesus had lost its first love and they were the loveless church. So what happened at Ephesus is when they lost your first, when you lose your first love, what happens is then you become very judgmental, you become very condemning, you begin to look down on people, you become hard on sin, but if you're hard on sin and you don't have love, that's not the right approach. And we've seen that for far too long, even in our world, where we've had a church that has, you know, thumped the Bible and been so hard on sin, but there's been no love behind the church. 
In fact, back in 2012, there was a book that was written and they did this survey. The Barna Group did this survey and they, they surveyed unbelievers. They so, surveyed unchurched people, unchristian people. And they said, what do you think about the church? And the number one thing that was associated with the church was hate. Because it was hard on sin. It was hard on sin, but there was no love behind the hard on sin. And so this was the church of Ephesus. But what we find here is that we have a church that is full of love, but is easy on sin. We have a church that is, it's just like, oh, everything's good. Everything's great. We love God. We love people, all these things. But basically what it all boils down to is there was a holiness issue in the church. It was all love and no stance on holiness. Jesus was calling the church at Thyatira to be a church of holiness. All right, you got the history? You know who they are? Let's do it. So there's always four things in these letters, with the exception of two of them. Five, uh, five of these letters have this. It's going to be the commendation. It's going to be the correction. Uh, it's going to be the counsel, and then it's going to be the promise. And so, you know, if you hear John Mac Maxwell talk about giving somebody a compliment sandwich, John Maxwell did not come up with that, all right? I know you listen to your leadership podcast. They say, go in and give them. Jesus came up with this. So here we go. The commendation. He says this, I know your deeds. Your love and your faith and your service and your, per listen how he's boasting about the church at Thyatira. I know the, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. I love, Jesus comes in strong. I love how you're serving. I, I love your deeds. I love your faith, your service, your perseverance under pressure. You're keeping the faith. You're Jesus says, great job. He tells them they're doing good, and not only are you doing good, but you're doing better than you once were. And can I just pause for a minute, and can I say to everybody that the Christian walk is a journey, and that the goal is not perfection. The goal is getting better day by day. In fact, our, our whole mission statement is building better lives. It's not building the best life because the only time we're going to have the best life is when we get to eternity with Jesus. But every day, my life with Jesus can get better. And so he commends them on, on getting better and better. And, and see, we can't look at other people and judge them where they're at in their walk with Christ just because they aren't where we're at. But I've been serving the Lord more than 20 years now. I'm not going to look at somebody who's been serving the Lord for one year and be like, come on, why? You, you need to get it together. No, because why? We're all on a journey. We're all facing things and we're all getting better. Jesus says, congratulations, you're getting better every day. You're walking out your salvation with fear and trembling, as the Bible says. So there's a commendation. Then he gets to the correction. He says this, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate. Come on, somebody say you tolerate. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel. And if you've taken notes, you might even write at the top of your page, the tolerant church. It says you tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and eating the food sacrificed to the idols. Remember what I was talking to you about those trade guilds and that they would have to participate in these parties and these rituals. And if they didn't, then they weren't going to make a living. And so it was like they were having to tolerate, even though they didn't like it, they were having to tolerate. Verse 21 says, I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is un." 
willing. Jesus was telling the church at Thyatira that there was a holiness issue going on. There was a sin issue taking place in the church that needed to be addressed. You are giving in to the doctrine of Jezebel that says you can worship God and have the world too. Now, this wasn't actually a person. I want you to understand there wasn't a, a, a woman in the church named Jezebel. Because anybody know who Jezebel is? Even uh, historians, uh, theologians, they all say that she was the most evil, one of the most evil people ever recorded in the Bible. So in that time, if you were going to name your kid Jezebel, that would be really, 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 really bad. Um, I could name a few names that like it would be, you know, the equivalent of naming your kid. But you, you can go there. You can do that. So it wasn't an actual lady that was named Jezebel in the church that was stirring up the church. And this is what I love about God is that, you know, God could have, as he was writing this letter and giving this letter to, to John to deliver to the churches, he could have called this woman or this person out directly. But God is so gracious that he didn't call the person out, but he called the spirit out. And he said, look, I'm so gracious and my love runs so deep that I'm not going to humiliate this person. I'm not going to embarrass this person. And in fact, I'm even going to give them time to repent. But if we don't repent, if we don't turn to God, what happens? We all have a time where we're going to stand before God and we're going to make an account for all the things that we did in our life. And she will have to do the exact same thing. But I love that God is so gracious, so kind, so loving, so gentle that he just calls out the spirit. And I'm sure as she was hearing this letter, she's like, oh, that's me. <laughs> yeah, she probably didn't raise her hand in church and say that, but she was like, oh, yeah, that's me. But it wasn't a person named Jezebel, but Jesus was speaking to the spirit similar to when Jesus said, Satan, get thee behind me. Do you know who he was, who he was talking to? Peter, one of the disciples. Was he calling Peter Satan? No. But, I mean, if he didn't, my feelings would be hurt. How many of you, if Jesus called you Satan, my feelings would be hurt. I'd be like, ouch, that, Jesus, that one hurt. Uh, but he was speaking to the spirit that was operating behind. Are you, are you with me? This is how gracious God is. God didn't call out the person directly. He didn't embarrass them. He didn't humiliate them. Because why? God is gracious. God is good. So Jezebel in the Old Testament is this evil queen who married into Jewish royalty. And then she had all of the priests, all of the Jewish priests that would work in the temple and make sacrifices to God. She had every single one of them killed. And then she brought in all of her pagan priests, all of these priests from this uh, foreign country. She brought them in and made the whole nation worship this God called Baal. And so she marries in she kills all the priests. She has all of the nation worship this God named Baal. And she was considered one of the most wicked people in Jewish history. And this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, you tolerate. You tolerate this woman, Jezebel. There are too many people in the church today who are tolerating sin in their lives. Can we make it personal? I'm not talking about the church. We are the church, right? We are the, there are too many people that we are tolerating sin in our lives, that we are living with sin. We are living with addiction, that we are bound up and we are tolerating sin in our lives. 
There are too many people in the church that have just decided to be okay with living in addictions, living in strongholds. It's become so much a part of normal life that they had simply learned to live with and tolerate the sin of their lives. I know this ain't a preaching message, but it's a good one. Because watch this, tolerate. I want you to see, I want you to see this. Tolerate means this. Allow the existence, occurrence, or practice of, watch this in parentheses, something that one does not necessarily like or agree with. Look, this isn't my definition. This is Web- be mad at Webster, all right? That you don't like or agree with without interference. In other words, there are things that are going on in your life that you don't necessarily like or think is right or the Holy Spirit has convicted you on or, you know, in a service pointed out, hey, you need to get this right. And, and what has happened is you've just tolerated it, allowed it to continue to go and just moved on with life. And Jesus speaks to the church at Thyatira and says, you have to stop tolerating the spirit that is at work in your church. You can't just sit back and tolerate it. You can't allow its existence, its occurrence, or the practice of without interference. It's time that we step in and go, no, this is not okay. It doesn't mean that, um, it, it doesn't mean that you like what is happening in your life. Let me, let me phrase that. It doesn't mean that you like what is happening in your life. It doesn't mean that you think it's okay or that you're even happy with it, but you aren't doing, listen to me, you aren't doing anything to stop it. Have you been there? I've been there. I've been there where God has convicted me and pointed out something in my life and said, hey, Craig, you got to get it right. And and I would just tolerate it in my life. I've been the church at Thyatira before where I have tolerated things in my life because I, I enjoyed it. I liked it. You name it, whatever it was. I have tolerated things in my life rather than dealing with it. And I believe that God would say to us tonight, We can't continue to tolerate sin in our life. This letter is a call back to holiness. You aren't doing anything to stop it. You're tolerating it. Watch what James 4, 7 says. It says, submit yourselves. People don't like that word, by the way. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will what? So let me ask you a question. If the devil isn't fleeing from you, we must be doing something wrong. If the devil isn't fleeing from us, we're not doing one of two things. We're either not submitted to God or we're not resisting the devil. Because if we're submitted to God and we're resisting the devil, what does the Bible say the enemy will do? He will So if you're under spiritual attack, if you've just been getting beat up by the enemy, you need to go and you need to look at your life and go, one of two things I need to do, I either need to submit or I need to resist. Which one am I not doing right now? And then the Bible says, he will flee from you. So whenever I look at my life and I'm coming under spiritual attack, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to look around and I go, am I not submitted in an area to God or am I not resisting the devil in an area? Listen, spiritual attacks are going to come, but if I will submit to God and if I will resist the devil, guess what? He will flee. If you have found yourself becoming tolerant to sin in your life, ask yourself the question, if the devil isn't fleeing from you, if you're finding yourself under constant spiritual attack, is it because you aren't resisting or you aren't submitted to God? Because if you're submitted, I would say this, If you were submitted, then you would also be resisting. 
Because when God has spoken to me and said, okay, Craig, I need this area of your life. And I haven't submitted. If I'm not submitted to God, what am I doing? I'm resisting God, right? And I can't be submitted to God if I'm not resisting. Does this make sense? Because if I'm not submitted to God, who am I resisting? I'm resisting God. And if I'm resisting God, guess what? I'm opening myself up to an attack. So if you want the devil to flee, first we got to go, okay, God, whatever you want, your desire, your will, that's what I want in my life too. And as we submit to God, guess what? Then the enemy will flee because in being submitted to God, I am also resisting the enemy. That's good preaching right there. Because I'm sure that God gave you some instruction on how to be free but you aren't totally ready or wanting to be free. Can I say that statement again? God's already given you instruction on how to be free. Man, I can can speak from experience. I can speak from experience because God has given me instruction before on how to be free, and I didn't listen. But just in the same way that, that God said he was patient with this spirit of Jezebel. He was patient with the spirit that was operating behind this person and that when they didn't get free, what happened? Then destruction came upon them. I, I've, I have had times in my life where I heard God speak and tell me something and I didn't obey the word of God and God's like, okay, I'm gonna get your attention. Can I tell you, it's better to obey the word of God than have him get your attention. It's better just to go, okay, God, you're right, I submit, I come under your lordship, than to have to walk through this, 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 and this, to then finally go, all right, God, I submit. And, And it's not that God would do those things because he's mad, angry, whatever, go down the list. No, God would do that because he loves you. It's just like if your child was gonna run out in in oncoming traffic, what are you gonna do? You're gonna you're gonna go and you're gonna get them. You're not just gonna watch it and be like, that crazy kid. That is wild. No, like, what are you, you're going you're gonna to holler, you're going you're gonna to go get that kid, and when they come back, you're going to have a stern talk with them. What will you, and what I'm telling you is that God gives us these warnings in our spirit, in a service, through somebody praying for whatever it may be. God speaks to us, and we need to go, okay, God, I submit to you, I resist the enemy, and he's going to flee. And that's the way it works in our life. Because watch this, the spirit of Jezebel was this. The spirit of Jezebel was all about power, control, and manipulation. Somebody say, "Uh uh-oh. All about power, control, and manipulation. And that's what her rule in the Old Testament was all about, power, control, manipulation. She manipulated her way into power by marrying King Ahab. She was a Phoenician, the daughter of a priest and king of the God of Baal, and she forced her religion on the nation of Israel by killing all the Jewish priests and mandating the worship of Baal. So it was all about power and control. Can I say this? Addiction is all about power and control in your life. And a lot of times we'll allow addiction in our life. And addiction in your life is about power and control. The sin controls you. It has its power over, over your decision-making. These addictions just aren't substance-related, by the way. But I I did, the top four are substance-related. And I looked up the top, all of the top addictions in our nation. And these are in no certain order, but the number one it listed was alcohol. And alcohol starts like this. It starts in moderation, but it turns to control. It starts with you controlling it, and then it starts with it controlling you. 
nicotine. You might have done it just to fit in and be cool as a teenager, but now you found that you've got to have it to function and focus. I can't, uh, I can't live without it. Marijuana was number three on the list. And now there's this whole debate because they made it legal. Look, just because the government made it legal don't mean it's right, all right? There's a lot of things that the government made legal that not okay. But marijuana, somebody, people, because they're like, the Bible doesn't, Bible doesn't say anything about it. It's innocent. The Bible doesn't say anything about it. How about 1 Peter 5 eight? Be sober-minded and be watchful. If you're high, you ain't sober-minded. How about this? Opioids started as a good thing to help you, but then you gave it power and control. How about this one? I'm going to hit everybody on this one. How about your phones? See, y'all thought y'all were all good. You're like, oh, man, I'm good. he ain't going to hit none of my stuff tonight. And then I said phones. Watch this. 47% of Americans admit that they're addicted to their phones. The other 53% lied. <laughs> the average American checks their smartphone 352 times per day. That's the average American. 71% of people spend more time on their phone than with their spouse. How about this one? How about lust? 40 million U.S. adults regularly visit. I'm going to call them. We got little ears in the audience. I'm going to call them lust sites, okay? And 35% of all Internet downloads are lust-related. We can't continue to be tolerant of sin in our lives. Sin wants to have total power and control over your life. But it can only exist if we are tolerant of the sin in our lives. Let me go back to, and this is not in my notes, but I really feel like I need to say this to somebody tonight because we don't like the word submit. Let me tell you something. You're either going to submit to the addiction, you're either going to submit to the sin, and it's going to have control over you, or we can submit to a God that loves us, cares for us, has the best in mind for us. So it's our choice. We're either going to go, I'm going to come under the rule of sin and submit to it, or God, I'm going to submit to you. I don't know about you. I want to be submitted to God. We can't continue to tolerate the sin in our lives. Let me illustrate it with this. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1, Elijah the prophet has just slayed all of Jezebel's prophets. So they had this big showdown. It was Elijah, who was basically kind of an Old Testament prophet, preacher. Just think of him as a preacher. He's an Old Testament preacher, okay? His prophet freaks people out. They're like, prophet, what? He was an Old Testament preacher. He just declared the word of God. That's what he did. And he says, all right, get all of the prophets, 450 of them. He said, meet me up on uh, the top of Mount Carmel. Let's have, let's have a showdown. Let's see whose God is real. And so all of these 450 prophets, man, they begin to cut themselves, scream out. They're like, oh, they're all trying to call down fire from heaven on this uh, wood that they've put together. And they're like, come on. And, and Elijah's literally, he's just on the other side. He's just mocking them. He's just making fun of them. He's just, he's like, this is, guys, you look like idiots. Seriously, this is. This is not working. Uh, and so finally they give up. Nothing happens. And Elijah tells him, he's like, yo, look, let's do this. Grab buckets of water. I want you to come and I want you to soak 
all of this, this bonfire that we're about to light up. Soak it with water, man, drench it down. And they put, they had like a, a trough around it. And the, the Bible says that even the trough was so full of water. And Elijah just steps back and he looks up to heaven and he says a simple prayer and fire falls from heaven and consumes all of this, uh, all of this bonfire and all of the water and everything is gone. And Elijah's like, what's up now? And they take all 450 of those prophets and they slay them. Now watch this. He has an incredible victory. I mean, an insane victory that day, right? Like if you call fire out of heaven, you would be walking around town. You, number one, you'd be on the news, right? You'd be on, like, you'd be on TikTok, man. You'd be, on, you'd be insta-famous. You'd be on the morning show tomorrow. You'd be on the Today Show tomorrow, Like right? They'd be like, hey, tell us about, like, how was it? Oh, man, it was incredible. You know, I mean, like, it would... He just did something absolutely amazing. And Jezebel, this is the actual person in the Old Testament, sends word, hey, Elijah, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. What you did to the prophets of Baal, if I haven't done this by this time tomorrow, may I be gone. May I be done. I'm taking you out. And so what does Elijah do? Elijah gets up and he runs. I'm thinking, Elijah, why would you run when you just had some incredible victory where God showed up, his power fell, you saw incredible things happen, you had this opportunity to turn a nation back to God, but instead you ran and you retreated into the desert. Why? Because Jezebel had power, control, and manipulation over him. Struck this spirit of fear in his heart that he went and he ran into the desert. And so he goes and He's in the desert. He's in this low place. The Bible, I mean, really, when you go and you read it, I would encourage, maybe this week, just write down 1 Kings 19. Go read the story because it's great. He lays down. He's depressed, and he prays, God, take my life. I mean, like, he becomes suicidal. Like, the day after God does something, I mean, he's, he's this incredible prophet, preacher, man of God in the Old Testament. Everybody talks and preaches about him. And he goes, and he lays down in the wilderness, and he's just like, God, I just want to die. I just want to, Jezebel's going to kill me. I just want to die. So he lays down, and um, an angel of the Lord comes and visits him and makes this cake. And so when he wakes up, there's literally a hot cake um, laying beside him. So the Bible says that he uh, wakes up, takes the cake, he eats it, and then he goes back to sleep. So if you're wondering, if you're in a bad situation, the best thing to do is just eat and take a nap. I'm kidding. By the way, also, this is the first mention of angel food cake in history. Uh, it's a bad joke, I know. Uh, so Elijah, he's, he's laying down and goes to sleep. But I love what it says in 1 Kings 19.15. Show him this. It said, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go back the way you came. And sometimes I think we can get off the path because what's interesting, this word that, uh, uh, where is it, where is it, where is it? Because I want, I want you to see this. I'm a little ahead of myself on my notes. Seducing. This word seducing in the Greek is planeo, but it means to cause, uh, to cause to go stray or to lead astray, lead aside by the right way, to go astray, to wander, to roam about. And so what happened is this spirit of power and control caused Elijah to get off of the path that he was supposed to be on, wander away from the thing that God had called him to do. And what does the word of the Lord, the word says, go back the way you came. 
And a lot of times what happens is we can allow things into our life. We can allow things to have control over our life. And I feel like the Spirit of God would say to us tonight, go back the way that you came. Get back on the path. The way that you were headed was the right way. You were headed to me. You were sold out to me. You were called for my purpose. You've got to get back on that path and go back the way that you came. I believe he would say it this way. Go back the way that you came. Where did I come from? I came from the place of the cross. I've got to go back to the place where I received victory. And he says, go back to the place where you won the victory. Go back to Mount Carmel. Well, where, where did we win victory? We won the victory at Calvary. And so I believe God would say to us tonight, if we have a holiness issue, we've got to go back to the cross. We've got to go back to the place where we receive victory. Go back to the place where we received grace. Go back to the place where we received forgiveness. Go back to the place where we received healing. If we're off the path, we've just got to go back to the place where we found healing, forgiveness, redemption from God. Come on. If anybody believes that, why don't you say amen? All right. So where am I at? We got the correction. Correction. We've gotten all the way here. Correction. He says this to him. He says, okay, all right, so you did good. I've got this against you. This is how you get it right. Here we go. This is how you get it right. Repent of her works. Isn't it funny? A lot of these are repent. Just, just, just change your mind. Change your mind on what it is. Repent of her works. Verse 23, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches. What does he search now? He searches the mind and the heart. We can have everybody else fooled, but God searches the mind and the heart. But I'll let you, I just go back to even what I said about the spirit of Jezebel. God's not going to, you know, he's not going to have me up here and like uh, be like, hey, you back there in the back. I know what you're doing. You know, it's, it's not going to happen that way. Because God is the God that searches heart and mind. I don't have to do that. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit that he's doing it right now. He's talking to you right now. And it may be, you know, it may be something in your heart that you consider massive. It may be something small, but God's going, hey, that's a holiness issue, and I need to get it right. He says, I search that heart and mind. Van, y'all come on back to that seducing spirit that's causing you to go astray. It creates this visual of wandering off the intended path. It's exactly what happened to Elijah, as I said earlier. The prescription then is the same as it was then. Return, repent, change your mind. Quit wandering. You don't have to continue to be, can I say that again? You don't have to continue to be lost, alone, or isolated by sin. Go back to where it all began. Let's get back to the cross. And the final thing is this, the promise. So he says, how do you get it right? You change your mind. We're going to go back to the place where it all started. We're going to go back to the cross. We're going to receive that forgiveness and that grace. But what is the promise? What is the promise that we inherit? And remember, all of these promises at the end of every, um, at the end of every letter to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamon, now to Thyatira, is this. It's all eternal. Think of these promises as eternal. Not right now. Because you think about this right now, you'd be like, that's, that's weird. Uh, but it says this. It says, but to the rest of you in Thyatira who would not hold to this teaching, you've not learned what some of the, what they call the deep things of Satan, which that's tied into Gnosticism, and I don't have time to go into all that. To you, I say, I do not lay any other burden. 
Only watch this. Hold fast. Come on, somebody say hold fast. We got to hold fast what you have until he comes. And if we do that, the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. As when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as myself have received authority from my father, and I will give him the morning star. So if you were to look at that and you were to layer that over right now, you're like, oh, man, guess I'm going to be president or something, you know? Gave my life to Jesus and endured, and now I'm going to have my own nation. That's cool. No, but you layer this over eternity, and when you literally you just flip to the end of the book, and you see that out of heaven comes down a new heaven and a new earth. It's eternity. It's heaven. It's where we're going to spend. There's this thousand-year reign where we reign with God. And you go, ah, oh, that promise makes sense now. It's a promise of eternal life. And I want you to stand on your feet, and I want to share this one last thing. Then I'm going to give you the opportunity just to, just to respond. But the final thing he says in verse 28, let's see that, verse 28. It says this, I will give him the morning star. Who's the morning star? Jesus. Let me share something cool about the morning star because the morning star is usually the planet Venus in, in the sky is what would be referred to as the morning star. It appears in the night sky just before the dawning of a new day. What it is is it's a picture of the old gone and the new coming. Why? Because his mercies are new, what? Every morning. And then watch this, because this is so cool. The morning star in Roman times represented victory. And Jesus is riding to a city that is under Roman rule, and he says, I'm going to give you the morning star. I will give you victory. The thing that you struggled with, the thing that you toiled with, the thing that you couldn't overcome, the thing that you were tolerant with in your life, that thing, God says, in the end, you're going to have victory. Man, you may have struggled with addiction. It may have even been that natural tendency that drawed you, that it was drawing you and pulling you, and your whole life you had to fight against it. Paul said, I have a thorn in my flesh, and, and God said that it was sent to buffet me and keep me humble. Man, our issues and struggles keep us coming back to God, going, God, I need you, but in the end, we have victory. No more struggle against sin. No more struggle against stronghold. No more struggle against the authority that we would come under spirit of Jezebel is defeated we won't be manipulated by sin any longer it's a reminder that in eternity we will be victorious so God today may we make no allowance for sin may we not tolerate it in our lives May we tell the enemy, you have no place. May we say tonight, God, I am submitted to you and to your lordship in my life. And as I do that, I'm resisting the devil. No. No to picking up my phone 350 times this week or in a day. Yes to 
spending time with my wife and kids and family. No to substance that I feel like is keeping me going. Yes, God, to your strength, which is perfect, and your joy and your peace. I don't need a substance to bring me peace. God, I only need you to bring me peace. 